This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Just welcome everybody. Let's just leave it at that. Tonight we're learning the Fuashlevat of Friha, Birth Bat Miriam, and Le'ilu Nishmat Tzila Bat Rabbi David, and Le'ilu Nishmat Avram Ben Chaim Yehuda, and Le'ilu Nishmat Yechazkel Ben Abraham. Okay. So today, today we're going to be, um, today we're going to be speaking a lot about the concept from the Sefer Shara Bidachon. And we mentioned this, and we mentioned this before, and I, I really want to put a, you know this out there again. And that is, I want to give a little bit of introduction. So let's just back out a bit. So what we're speaking tonight is really mainly focused on a concept, on a, on a, on a, a sort of a, it was, it's actually the introduction to Shar Habitachon from uh, the Chobot Alvavot. Now, so it's not even the actual, fo- the 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 you know the actual chapters. It's the introduction to the Shar Habitachon in the Sefer called Chobot Alvavot. Now, I, we met, what we mentioned before was we mentioned the awesomeness of the Sefer, and in fact, whenever you're learning Emuna, whenever you're learning Bitachon, whenever you're learning anything on this subject. You're guaranteed to come across the sefer of Shara Bidachon. It's sort of a, uh, you know, the, and, and in fact, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see that it says that Rabbi Elia Lapsan goes and says in the name of Rabbi Shal Salanter that Chavot al Vavot, the, the specifically Shara Bidachon, that is the Shulchan Aruch for the Hilchot Bidachon. Meaning that if you want to learn Emuna, and if you want to learn Bitachon, and again, today we're going to see how fundamental, how important it is, then your source that you should go to, your, your first step that you should go to, should be the Shara, the, the Shara Bitachon and the Chobot al Now, the reason why I said we said it before, and it has to be, you know, also the reason why I'm even bringing it up right now is because today we're going to be focusing very, very heavily on this segment from the Shabbat Khan. Generally in our classes, we bring from all different areas, every single topic, every single um, class that we do on, whether it is a Munah, we try to bring from all different areas. But today we're going to be focusing very, very strongly on the introduction to the Shabbat Khan. And the reason why I saved it until now is because it focuses specifically on money. And I want to give you the introduction that I gave previously, maybe about a year ago, on the um, on the on, on the Chavot Avavot, and that is that whenever you open up a Jewish uh, book, a Jewish sefer, you're looking. There's something called Haskamot. There's, there's these approbations. There's the the letter of recommendation, if we could say, to see like how much do you want to trust this sefer. So let's say you open it up. Um, and you see that there is, you know, this letter of recommendation from this rabbi who's maybe reform or conservative that you're, you're gonna look at the book, you'd be like, whatever, this is all nonsense, this is nonsense, I have nothing to even be bothered with it, why am I even looking at it? But let's say you go and, and I'll give you an example of Havdil, you open up a, a business book or a finance book. And you see that there is a letter of recommendation from Warren Buffett. There is a letter of recommendation for all the biggest investors, all the biggest stockbrokers, all the biggest companies. Then you know, okay, fine, this guy must know what he's talking about. Or he paid Warren Buffett a lot, a lot of money to go and write him that letter of recommendation. So that's how it goes in the secular world. In the Jewish world, you can't, you know, the big rabbis, you can't pay them. You can't write them a check. Here's $100,000. Write me a letter of recommendation for my book. No big rabbi will ever do that. So whenever you see a letter of recommendation, 
recommendation, you're opening up a sefer, you're opening up a Jewish book, and you see a letter of recommendation from a big rabbi, you know that this rabbi is giving his approval on this book. So whenever you open a book, if let's say you see a letter of recommendation from Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, so you'll be like, okay, fine, Rabbi Feinstein, the God Aldar of America, you know, wrote a letter of recommendation, that must be a good book. Let's say you see Chacham Avadia Yosef. So of course, everybody's going to say for sure that I'm going to go and I, you know, I could trust this book. But let's say you take it back a generation and you see a letter of recommendation from the Chafetz Chaim. You're going to be like, are you going to doubt this? If the Chafetz Chaim wrote it, then for sure, if you wrote a letter of recommendation for this guy, you know this book, you take it to the bank. And let's say you take it back another two generations, three generations, and you have a letter of recommendation from the Vilna Gaon. Can you imagine a letter of recommendation from the Vilna Gaon? The, someone who has in his name the genius. You know, he wrote you a letter of recommendation that you're good. But let's take this a step higher from all that. Imagine that you have a letter of recommendation from an angel. Can you imagine that? A letter of recommendation from an angel. The Malachanage, there was an angel who learned Torah with the Beis Yosef. The Beis Yosef, whoever is not familiar, was Rabbi Yosef Kara. He lived from the year 1488 to 1575. And he was none other than the author of the Shulchan Aruch. And the Magid told him, the Magid, and this is written in the Sefer Magid Mesharim, in the end of Parashas Behar. And the Magid, the Malach, the angel, told Rabbi Yosef Karo, he was teaching Torah to Rabbi Yosef Karo, and he taught him, and he said, read a passage from the Chavos Halvavos every single day, because he knew how to subjugate the evil inclination, the Yetzahara, like no one else. Meaning that here you have a stamp of approval, if you want a sefer, like there is no other sefer that I know that has a stamp of approval, at least in the, the, the recent years, the stamp of approval of an angel. An angel says, read this. This is, you're talking about a, a celestial being that's in the next world. There's no false, like in the next world, you can't like, okay, you have a long enough beard and you have plenty of followers and you make some miracles so people think that you're the biggest thing. And maybe you are, maybe you're not, who knows? But when you're dealing with some being in the next world that says, this is what you should learn, you realize, okay, fine, this is a letter of recommendation that's like unheard of and anywhere else. And this is what the Chavot HaVot got. The Chassam Sofer also used to begin his share every single share with 15 minutes of study from the Chavot HaVot. The truth is, I don't know if it was every single share, but it says that he used to begin his share uh, with 15 minutes of study of the Chavot HaVot. The Arizal. The great Mikubal, the Arizal, would tell his students to study Chobos of Chobos every single day. If you want to go and you want to, you're thinking about studying or learning another Sefer, pick up the Chobos of Chobos. There's an English version of it, and by the way, and we'll see that from today, we're going to be learning about it, that the, uh, whenever you're learning these, you're learning more of the newer books, you know, so you can find, so it's easy to go through it. When you're learning books of the Rishonim, you're learning books of, 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 you know, people from, from a, almost a thousand years ago, Every word, there is, it's sort of like a puzzle that you could go and you could delve into so much of it because they put so much thought process into every single nuance that they put in. Of course, the Torah is like that. But even when you have the Rishonim, you have to go and you can could, you could analyze and how they said and what they said and how they said it and when they said it. The Rav Meir Shapiro, Rav Meir Shapiro of Lublin, he was the founder of the Daf Yomi movement. He said that his own grandfather was able to succeed, to accomplish what he accomplished, only after learning the Sefer Chalvot a thousand times. 
I, you know what that means a thousand times? Like when we learn something twice, we're like, oh, I heard this already. You know, like I'm about to say a topic and be like, oh yeah, I heard it already. Like I know this. I learned the Chovetz I know it already. You're talking about a tzaddik, a gadol ador, who went and he learned it a thousand times. What was the last time that you learned anything or heard anything or said anything a thousand times? Hopefully prayers. It should be prayers, but hopefully, right? It should be prayers. But when was the last time? Yeah, a thousand times. Rabbeinu Tam used to go and praise the Chavot Avot and say, this is a vital sefer for anybody who is an Ovet Elohim. Anybody who serves God, this is a vital sefer. So anyways, with that introduction, we are going to go and speak about the introduction, with that introduction, we're going to speak about an introduction to the Shara B'Tachon of the Chavot Avot. And that is the... Um, it's, it's where the Chavot HaVot goes and speaks about something that's called the alchemist. The alchemist is a, uh, it's sort of, if you, you could title it, you could be the alchemist versus somebody who has a Munah and Bitachon in God. Or otherwise as a Botech Basham. So yeah, well, first let's, let's first, uh, you know, understand what an alchemist is. So an alchemist is somebody who can transform things for the better. This is, nowadays is known as a pseudoscience, not like a, it's a hypothetical situation. And we know this is not, even when the Chavot Avot was, was bringing this down, this is more of a hypothetical situation. So what's this hypothetical situation? So we have this alchemist. What is this alchemist? Imagine there is a certain person, this is imagine, hypothetical, that it doesn't exist, that he is able to take metal, let's say lead for example, and turn it into gold, through chemicals and heat and certain, uh, you know, reactions. So again, what he does is, is that he takes metal, cheap metal, and he converts it to the most expensive metal. He go, goes and he converts it from lead, for example, to gold. Now, I was thinking when I was learning this, why is it that the Chavad HaVavad used this particular example? Like, why did he use an alchemist specifically? And I, and then I, you know, I was thinking, you know, and by the way, a lot of what I'm speaking about tonight is going to be from different svarim that I learned about this subject, but it's also going to be the, the focus, the underlying focus is, is, is my own understanding, my own, if I could say, chidushim on this, um, on this, uh, segment of the chavavot halvavot. So, when I was thinking, why did he use the, idea of an alchemist. Why not a billionaire of like any other sort? Why specifically an alchemist? And I was, and you know, I was starting to, you know, break it down. When you look at, uh, you know, you have people that say in lucrative businesses, in real estate, they're making a certain amount of money. And based on the return of their investment, uh, you know, there may, some could be making more, some could be making less, and they're making, you know, generally, if you have a good, a good investment, so you're making an X amount of return. And you're, you're, there's a limit to how much you can make. Unbelievable returns are very, very rare. But let's look at this alchemist, for example. Nowadays, I checked today, how much does lead cost per ounce? Lead per ounce is not even a penny. It's 0.06 cents per ounce. That's how much lead costs. How much is gold per ounce? Gold per ounce, as of today, is $1,786. Now, I can almost guarantee that someone who's going to be listening to this class a year from now would be like, well, let me see what happened. You know, let's check it. Google, where is it, you know, where is it going to be? And they find out, oh, wait a minute, it's $2,000 per ounce. If only I invested two years ago when this year came out and gold, blah, 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 you know, all that. At the end of the day, one thing that we're going to learn from this is that the Panasan, everything only comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But... That being said, today, as of today, lead, 0. 0.06, 0.06 cents for an ounce of lead. Gold is $1,786 per ounce. That's per ounce. Imagine what it is 
Uh, by the way, let me just think that for a second. For a second, you are taking less than a cent, and then you're trans converting that into one thousand seven hundred eighty-six dollars. That's a crazy, crazy, crazy return on your investment. But let's say you take a pound. A pound of lead is a dollar twenty today. A pound of gold is twenty-two thousand three hundred and seventy-two dollars. Imagine that you have a business that you could take a dollar twenty and convert it to twenty-two thousand three hundred and seventy-two dollars. That's only for one pound. Now imagine you could make a hundred pounds per day. What's a hundred pounds per you know per day? A hundred pounds is not that much. You know people carry it in the gym all the time. You have a hundred pounds, two fifty-pound dumbbells. That's it. That's a hundred pounds. You take a hundred pounds. A hundred pounds of lead is what is a mere a hundred and twenty dollars. That's your investment in your day. What do you return? What is what is it that you get? What is gold of a hundred pounds? A hundred pounds of gold is worth over two point two million dollars. Meaning that if let's say this occupation exists, and let's say all you do is a hundred pounds per day, you take a hundred and twenty dollars and you convert it to two point two million dollars, and that's your profit. You know, two plus two point two million dollars profit per day. That's a crazy return. No matter how great the business is, and by the way, we could you know expand that. That's a hundred pounds. Imagine what a thousand pounds is. Imagine what you build a factory of this technology. What is ten thousand pounds? Whatever you know. Of course, you can say inflation and blah blah blah. Everybody in the economist is going to bring it down if you flood the market. Yeah, whatever it is. But you have enough gold that you can build a house of gold. It doesn't matter. The the amount of money that you can make is is crazy. So now the Chavot Avot takes specifically this example, and I think this is why I use this example because your your earning potential is unlimited. Literally, it's unlimited. Lead is easily available. Any metal is easily available. You can convert it to the highest, you know, grossing, you know, uh, uh, metal possible. Your your return, your potential income is really unlimited. So now the Chavot Avot takes this specific example, and he goes on. He says, "Who is better off, the alchemist, this person who can make metal into gold, or somebody who is a baal bitachon, somebody who has a munah?" And the Chavot Avot goes and says that somebody who has a munah is much better. And why? He's going to go and going to show us ten reasons of why this is better to have a baal bitachon is better than being an alchemist. And by the way, this entire concept is it just really shows the security. The security in, in your work, in your panasa, in your livelihood, and anything is, is a certain amount. But then when you deal with somebody who is a baal bitachon, somebody who has a munah and bitachon is in a completely, completely different level. So let's go through those 10 things and let's try to explain them. So the first advantage, and now what the Chabot of what is going to try to go and explain, not try, will succeed in explaining, and how somebody who has a baal bitachon is greater than somebody who has the best profession possible. The most lucrative profession possible. And that is the first advantage, is that the alchemist needs to, in order to, uh, you know, do his job, in order to convert certain metals into different metals, he needs special chemicals, he needs special tools, he needs to, to, to do certain, uh, he needs certain, uh, um, tools and, uh, sort resources in order to get what he needs to get. But what is a Baal Bitachon? What is somebody who has a Munah? They don't need anything. They don't need tools. They don't need anything. They are guaranteed Panasa everywhere they go. Anywhere, anytime, anyhow. That's somebody who has a Munah Bitachon. Because why? Hashem will take care of him. That's somebody who has a high level of Munah Bitachon. Eliyahu, he fled from Ahav. And how did God send him food? Through ravens, through birds to go and bring him food. When there was no apparent way that he would get food, he, Hashem took care of him. 
Somebody who has a munah that is not boggled down to any resources. And again, imagine, imagine the resource, what resources he needs. He needs a few chemicals, he needs a few tools. And even that, somebody who has a baal bitachon doesn't even need that. Doesn't even need those tools because he says, it doesn't matter. I have this, then I'll get panasa from this way. If not, God will send me a different way. Furthermore, we could really expand on this that in general, you look at anybody who has anything in life, how many people have lost things, natural disasters, stock crashes, bad investment, people lost their homes and money, like in a moment, everything could be flipped. So you could have everything, but then you could lose everything in a moment. There is no, there is no stress, there's no anxiety, there's, like, even if he loses something, he has a moon out that God will take care of him. So meaning he doesn't rely on his money, he doesn't rely on his resources, he doesn't rely on his talents, he doesn't rely on the aspect that he's able to turn metal into gold, but he relies on God. He relies on someone, something that is some being that is much greater than everything else. So here you're relying on something that is physical, and here you're relying on something that is infinite. So this is the first thing. The first thing is that, the, the first aspect of why someone who's a Baal B'tachon is greater is that this person is able to get panasa anywhere. He doesn't need special tools, doesn't need special chemicals, doesn't need anything. And this, we branch it off into anything in life. You have good health. You have a good marriage. You have good children. No matter what it is, you have a good anything. Then you, you, you feel like you're okay. Until what? Until almost, God forbid, it should never happen, that God almost takes it away. And when God almost takes it away, then you're all, realize that you have nothing. But somebody who has, who's a Baal B'tachon realizes that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is controlling over everything. And if God is controlling over anything, then I'm relying on God. If I'm relying on God, then fine, then what's the big deal? I have it here, I'll get it there. God took it away, God will give. It doesn't matter, there's a different level of a mindset. That's number one. Let's look at the second advantage. The second advantage is that the alchemist, he needs certain chemicals. He needs certain, there are certain fumes that come with chemicals. And these are dangerous to a person's health. So here you have, where you have an alchemist. And by the way, we're going to use the, the idea of an alchemist, because that's what the Chavot HaLavot brings down. But really, you can bring this down into any profession. You have whatever profession you are in, it's most likely there is some sort of detrimental to your health. Now, you know, let's say you work in the healthcare field. So you go into, you know, into a hospital, you're putting yourself at risk. Nosocomial infection, infections in the hospital. The, you know how the most uh, dirtiest place, the easiest place for you to get sick is in a, is in a hospital. It's where all the diseases are. It's sort of you get everybody that's sick, lock them onto a room, and you go and you take care of them. So you could be a doctor, you could be a nurse, you could be a physical therapist, you could be an occupant, you could be a therapist, you could be whatever it is, but you're going into the, you know, a very, very dangerous situation. You could work in construction. So again, you're putting yourself into danger. The fumes, the danger, the, the, there's so many different things. So where you have the alchemist or any other profession, there is a danger, there's a physical danger to your health. But if somebody who has bitachon, his bitachon in itself, there's no danger, there's absolutely no danger to their health when somebody has a monah bitachon, someone who has faith in God. So number two is, the number two aspect of the advantage is that physically, in the physical sense, it's more healthier to be a baal bitachon, to be somebody who has a monah and faith in God than to be somebody who has the ability to go and transfer metal into gold. That's number two. The third advantage. Let's look at the third advantage. The third advantage is that you have this alchemist. And again, we're saying alchemist, but put into that whatever profession. This 
Alchemist, he would want to keep his business a secret. He doesn't want to share his secret. If anybody else finds out, he loses. The, like, the value is going to drop down. If anybody else knows his secret and how he turns lead into gold, everybody's going to do it. And if everybody does it, he loses it. So he wants to keep this a secret. So he, what it happens, he has tremendous anxiety, tremendous fear that somebody will go and it's maybe his secret will become you know, public knowledge. But what happens if you have somebody who has a munabitachon? They're not afraid of their secret. Their secret is Emunah They go and they scream it from the rooftops. They couldn't care less. Yes, share my secret. I don't lose anything by it. In fact, I gain if you gain from me. That's the difference of where you have it. In fact, that's what the Pasuk says in Tehilim. Chapter 56, verse 12. Elokim batachti. In God, I trust. Lo yira, I will not fear. Maya seli adam. Ma, I'm sorry, maya se adam li. What will a man do to me? He says, I, I trust in God. A man, I don't fear. What could they do to me? You have one time, you know, there's a story that when these type of stories come out, it's it's like you really say Mika Amcha Yisrael. Really, it's unbelievable. Where there was a person who has a business for many years in a certain location, and then right across the street from him, a competitor opened up a business. Now you know how annoying that is. Let's start with the word annoying, and then. Let's continue with a lot of therapy that's needed. Are you kidding me? Like I've been here for 15 years. I've been doing, and you're gonna come right across the street from me? Like come on, man. Like the, a, a normal person, I shouldn't say a normal person, a human person would go and be like, try to figure out every way that the person shouldn't open up a competition right across the street from him. Even though nowadays everyone's gonna be like, okay, the, you know, soon these types of examples are gonna be null and void. Be like, what are you talking about? Across the street doesn't matter. Everything's online. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't matter of who's across the street, who's there. Everything is online. But in the days where there used to be foot traffic, in the days that people used to have, you know, the brick and mortar stones, this would matter. Of somebody who opens up a store across the street. But this person came and this guy across the street, oh, his competition opens up. He comes in the first day. And his competition sees him. He's like, oh my gosh, I knew this, this was going to come. I didn't realize it come the first day. He's going to come. He is going to go and he's going to destroy me. And he went and he's going to go and he's going to destroy me. So he goes and he says that he goes into the store. And in the store, he goes over to his competitor. And the competitor is looking there, is embracing, you know, for impact. And he goes and he says, uh, the, the, old owner, the one across the street, goes over to the new owner and it says, uh, by the way, I see that you um, you just opened the store over here. And the guy's like, yeah. He's just like waiting for it to come. And he's like, you know, I figured I'll come over. You know, I know you're new to the business. Uh, you're not familiar with it. Maybe I could give you some tips and, uh, you know, tricks on how to succeed in this business. And the guy's like, wait, what? He's like, you're going to do what? He's like, he's like, you know, you know, I want to first of all wish you Hatzlacha. I knew my, my neighbor over here and I wanted to wish you success. And maybe I wanted to offer you some tips. And he's like, offer me some tips? And at this point, now now the new owner is getting upset at the old owner. He's like, you should be upset at me. He's like, you're going to give me tips. I'm ta- I'm, you're gonna th- I'm taking away business from you. Why are you offering me tips? So the, the old owner goes and says, listen. He says, we all know that where does money come from? Money, Panasa, comes from God. You don't think Hashem has enough Panasat to send for both of us? He says you could be across the street, you could be six miles away, you could be in the same store. It doesn't matter. Money comes from God. It doesn't matter where you are or where you're going to be and how you're going to conduct your business. I'm here as a fellow Jew. I want to help you out. This is my business. Let me go and help you out. And if you think the story happened once, it happened multiple times in the Jewish communities. I heard these different types of stories from different types of businesses. 
and different variations on how these story, you know, this, this idea of story came out. So somebody who has a bitachon, they, they don't have stress, they don't have high blood pressure, they don't not screaming, no yelling, no anger, they're just so calm. They're so calm. And whenever I learn about this, I'll tell you, like this person, I'll be like, no, what do we be speaking? We're like on 30-something classes on Emunah Bitachon, right? And that is after, to prepare this series, took me well over a year to prepare this series. And I've been learning this and practicing this for a very, very long time working on this. And so when I read of what one store owner does, I'm like, I'm so jealous. Jealous spiritually speaking. Look at the level that people can get to. Look at the level that people can reach. Do you understand that his whole panasad's in jeopardy? And he's so calm that he's giving the other guy tips. Who is like you? The Jewish nation. God, God, look at the Jewish nation. It's unbelievable. Somebody who has an Amin, and that's why no matter how much you learn, no matter how much you listen, you have to keep on reviewing and reviewing and reviewing these topics, these classes, these books, again and again and again until it becomes ingrained in you. You know, and that's what I was thinking. And I'm like, you know, I, we've been doing like 30-something classes. And we're getting, we're not finished yet, the series, but we're getting closer to the end of it. And in my mind, I'm like, no, how could we stop? Like, there's so much more to learn. There's so much more to grow from it. The answer is, is that really you have to go and it's really review again and again until it becomes ingrained. Until you become a person that you're able to go and you're able to tell your competitor, let me help you out. Because I know it all comes from Hashem. Until you reach that level, you have more learning to do. You have more growing to do. So number three, says the Chavad Avot as a recap, it's somebody who lives stress-free in the business. They don't have to keep the secret. The third advantage, so you have an alchemist, he wants to keep his, his business a secret. He fears that somebody else will find out his success. Somebody who has a doesn't fear anything. Relax, calm, come, bring it on. So what is the difference over here? So number two, we said, was you're physically healthier. You're not, someone who has a manabitachon is not boggled down by the, by, you know, by, by, versus the alchemist, by the physical strains on their body. They're happier, they are relaxed, they're physically healthier. Number three, we're, we're focusing on emotional health now. A stress-free environment. There was a story with Rab Mordechai, the Admor of Zvil. And his daughter became engaged to get married. I don't know what other engagement there are, but it was engaged to get married. And there was, you know, wedding expenses. And weddings are very, very, very expensive. So his wife goes and pleads with him. Says, please try to raise money. Please try to go and raise money to go and, and be able to pay this wedding. So, Ramorcha was learning in Yeshiva and Kolo, and he went over to the treasurer of the Kol, and he said, listen, can you give me some sort of list of wealthy supporters to the Yeshiva? I want to go, I want to be, be, try to raise money for my daughter's wedding, for, you know, they will share in the Achnasat Kala for my daughter. Now the treasurer was thinking, and he was saying, if I go, and if I give him my list, maybe he's going to go and they're going to give him money, but that's going to deduct from the donations that they would give to the Kowal that I have to raise anyways. So he felt like a little bit restrained. Like, I don't really want to give him the list. But at the same time, he's like, I can't refuse him the list. This is a, you know, a guy that learns in the Kowal. So what he decided that he's going to do, the treasurer went, and the treasurer went and he 
gave him a list of old philanthropists, meaning people that used to have money. People that don't no longer have money, but they used to give a lot of money. He says, you know, let him try with this. So he goes and he brings the list over to his wife. His wife looks at the, at this list and it took her only, it was a very smart woman, it took her only a second to be like, wait a minute, these uh, people are no longer wealthy. Maybe they were wealthy at one point. They're not uh, big donors now. So the husband, Reb Mordechai, goes and he says, listen, he says, I have to do my ishtadlis. It doesn't matter who's rich now, who was rich before, who was rich in the future, who will never be rich. I got to do what I need to do. Let God take care of the rest. So his wife came back to him with a great comeback. He says, oh yeah? Well, if you only need to do your ishtadlut, then pick one name on the list and send a letter only to one name. Don't even bother with the whole list. He says, just do your ishtadlut. And he's like, you know what? I like that. That's a great idea. Why bother? I have to do my ishtadlut. One and done. Let's leave it at that. So he goes... And he chooses one name and, uh, you know, on the list. Which name? Very easy to pick. The first one on the list. First, I don't know if it was alphabetical. I don't know if it was financial. Whatever it was. First one on the list. That's who I pick. Sends it to that. Uh, he wasn't practicing Kabbalah and he's starting to make calculations. Well, this man seems like he will have... My... First one on the list. Done. Writes a letter. Doesn't even fly to America. Writes a letter detailing all the expenses that he needs for his wedding. Of what he's lacking. It came out... To $25,000. He signs his name. Rav Mordechai, the son of Rabbi Gedalia Maisha. And he sends a letter off to America. The wedding approached. And all of a sudden there's a messenger, which is called a mailman, comes from the post office, hands him a letter. And in that letter there is a check for exactly $25,000. From the philanthropist that... Rab Rab Mordechai went and he sent it to. So he goes and he um, he goes over to the treasurer, and he goes over to the treasurer and he says, you know, I want to thank you for your list that you gave me because you know I was able to uh, to make uh, the money that I needed. And the treasurer will like like double take. He's like he's like you what? He was like surprised, but then he would like had to like dial down the surprise. He's like, wait, you got it? I mean, of course, of course you got it. I said, you list, but, but like, tell me, like, who, uh, who, uh, who, who sent you the money? Like, I'm just, uh, you know, curious. Like, oh, you know, like, I, like, of course, I know they would send you money, but like, which uh, did all of them send you? Did some of them send you? Who sent you? And he's like, no, it was like one particular guy. He sent it only one letter, and he, uh, one guy sent it back to me. He's like, one guy, <clears throat> one guy uh, sent it back to you. He's like, which. Uh, which, which guy, if you don't mind me asking? And he said a certain, you know, the name of the person that he sent to. And he's like, oh, thank you very much. I'm very happy that you got it. Immediately, he calls up America. He calls up to this guy. He sends somebody over to this guy. He says, well, this guy who sent a check for $25,000. Like, what's going on over here? He's like, if you have money, so like, you know, start supporting the yeshiva. You didn't support the yeshiva for a very long time. So this philanthropist, when he received this call, he goes over and he says, he was very, he hesitated to, to, to speak to him. And he says, you know what? Fine, I'll tell you the story, but you have to keep this absolutely confidential. And he says, fine, you know, not a problem. Of course, we'll keep it confidential. And he goes over and he says, you know, it's like, I didn't regain my, my lost wealth. He says, whatever I lost, I lost. It was, it, it was that. I, di- I didn't regain it. But we have a daughter who is about to get married. And suddenly, before the, before the wedding, the, you know, before, right before the engagement, whatever, be- enough time before the wedding that the kala the daughter was stricken with an illness. And we weren't sure what to do. She, you know, 
should we share the information? Should we not share the information? Like, you know, is it going to break this shit? So we went over to Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. And went over to Rabbi Moshe Feinstein and we gave the, all the details over of, the, of, of our daughter's situation. And he told us, in this particular case, you do not have to reveal anything to the other side. But he advised us that all the money that you have saved until now for the wedding, give that to Echnasat Kala, give it to, a, to give it to somebody who needs to get married, and in merit of that, you'll see Yeshua, there'll be health, and you'll have happiness. So they're fine. They said, okay, they thanked the rabbi for the They came home. When they came home, when they returned home from Ab Moshe Feinstein, they were astounded to find a letter from the son of the Zavilla Rebbe in Eretz Israel. And what happens? He goes and he says that he wants, and he detailed all the expenses and exactly what he was asking for, $25,000. The exact sum that we saved for our daughter's wedding was $25,000. The rabbi told us that everything that we saved to the wedding, give as a charity and everything will go be okay. And he says, what happened? We immediately send the money. We immediately send the money to this, uh, you know, to this, uh, um, to this person that, you know, that, that was collecting the money. And that was the story. What happened? I'm sure that she had a washdama. I don't know the end of the story, but the story really is from the other angle. The story is from look at this look at this emunah that this tzaddik had. He sent a letter to only one person, and guess what? He got what he was looking for, and he wasn't rela- He wasn't anxious. Did his ishtalut. When he did his ishtalut, he was relaxed. Came back, and guess what? The money came. Can't tell you how many people, specifically in Al Israel, that I speak to, that they tell me they don't know how they survive. They, they just don't know. Like the second they had to make a wedding and just money comes from different angles and you know it sort of just works out. Somehow it just works out. Like the stories are not just like like the people that I speak to outside, it's like literally one after another. Like this is the story. People live on Emunah. People live on Bitachon. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. But I'll tell you even a different, a different level of unbelievable is that the people there are happy. They're stress-free. You look at somebody over here who's driving 14 different Lexuses and Cadillacs and Maserati and they look more stressed than a guy who's sitting in Kolo in Eretz Yisrael with 4,200 children somehow and he's supporting everything else and everybody, you know, and like he has no money but he's relaxed and happy, calm, peaceful. It's Of course you have, you know, you know, seven o'clock. You have both and both. You have people learning call who are stressed, and you have people not, uh, of course. But I'm generalizing. I mean, I shouldn't be generalizing, but I'm generalizing. Well, you have so they look at the difference of a level of umunabitachan. How amazing that is! How amazing that is! Somebody who goes on that level is there's no stress. There's no stress. That's what the Chovat Ovat is telling us. That somebody who is about bitachan, he's not stressed about anything. No emotional stress. But an alchemist, somebody who has the ability to make billions. He's always stressed, but someone's going to figure it out. Someone's going to steal it. Someone's going to take it away from him. Let's go to the fourth level. The fourth advantage. The fourth advantage is that he's in fear, this alchemist, that maybe he prepares too much gold. And if he prepares too much gold, he's not going to be able to find a buyer. And if he doesn't find a buyer, then he'll have too much gold. If he, doesn't, if he has too much gold, maybe he'll be stolen by thieves or by the government. Or on the flip side, maybe he doesn't prepare enough gold. And then when he has buyers, he's not going to receive, you know, he has a big order. He's not going to be able to fill the order. So he's always nervous on sort of the day-to-day activities. But what do you have about Bitachon? You have somebody who has a Munah Bitachon. says, listen, God, you took care of me until now. 
then you'll continue taking care of me, uh, you know, until, you know, continuation. Meaning that you have, you know, uh, let's say in, in the, someone who is sick. So you have somebody who is sick, and let's say the doctors give up hope. Doctor says it's done. And what happens? The doctors go and they give up hope, and this person ends up living for another 10, 15 years. What, you know, what happened over there? First of all, we don't know. But how many times were the doctors gave up hope, but the person itself didn't give up hope? The person itself, listen, says, I have a munabitachon. That everything is from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Everything is from God. So what am I going, what am I worrying about? God took care of me until now, and God will continue taking care of me. And I can't tell you how amazing this, this thought process is. That if you think, you know, people are nervous, people are worried, whether it's panasam, whether it's about getting married, whether it's about uh, shiduchim, whether it's about children, it doesn't matter, there's so many things. Stop for a second and think about it, like, how much did God take care of you until today? Think back. Just think back tonight, if you could take one, one lesson out of here, is think of how Hashem took care of you. Wherever you are, whether you are, you know, you know, traveling, or whether, you know, through school, or through, you know, your family, there's so many things you think about, like, wait a minute. Like, the more that you think about, be like, God took care of me literally for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Why am I nervous about this? Why am I nervous that maybe I'll find a shidduch, maybe I won't find a shidduch? Why am I nervous maybe about the panasah here, maybe about the panasah over there? Why am I nervous about children this and the children that? God has been taking care of me. I have an Abba Shabbat I have a Tate in Himmel, I have a Father in Heaven who is always watching over me and is always taking care of me. So what am I worried about? What am I nervous about? Like what's there to worry about? You have a God, a Father, loving Father in Heaven. How, how awesome is that? So let's take a, l- a little bit of a, 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 a recess and a recap on what we said so far. So when you have the difference of somebody who's an alchemist, someone who's able to turn metal into gold, versus you have someone who's a Baal Bitechon. And when I'm saying a Baal Bitechon, it doesn't mean that he's sitting back over there, or she's sitting back over there, and says, God will bring the blessing. Whatever business that they are doing, whatever you know, learning that they're doing in Kolo, doesn't matter. Whatever it is that they're, that they're focusing on their struggle that they're doing. So the recap is that number one, Hashem can support you anywhere, anyhow, and from any source. And not only does a Baal Bitochon have the benefit of getting supported wherever, which way, and the proof point is every single person learning in Kolel ever, that's the proof, because there's literally no way that they could survive on the peanuts that they give them, but yet they survive and they thrive, Baal Hashem, and they should continue to thrive. But not only that, there is physically and emotionally healthier to have a Baal Bitochon. This stress Free that you have over here. Now, what was the difference? Now, we're mentioning over here the fourth one is also, you know, stress-free. So what's the difference between number three and number four, which we're speaking about stress? So number three, level number three, we spoke about that you're not worried about the secret, your, your business secret leaking out. But let's say you're not worried about, what about your day-to-day activities that's also stressful? How am I going to fulfill this order? How am I going to get more orders? There's day-to-day activities that you have to bring about. So number three deals with that your secret shouldn't be, you know, leaked out, and that's what you're not, you shouldn't be stressed about. But number four, level number four that the Chabot of is telling us is that you shouldn't be even worried about the details. Too much, too little is what the alchemist is worried about. Maybe I'll make too much gold, maybe I'll make too little gold. But if someone who's a Babi is relaxed and calm even to that level, not only on the, on the macro level, but even on the micro level, they are very relaxed in that. So, you know, there was a uh, Rabbi Moshe Shmuel Shapiro. The, uh, he needed to pay off. Tell you, this is like, when you read these stories, it's like, how do you, these people even, like, it's such a level. Oh, 
If only we could get to this level. This guy, Rab, not guy, this rabbi, Rav Moshe, Rav Moshe Shmuel Shapiro, he needed to pay off a loan of $10,000. That wasn't a business, he was learning in yeshiva. It, he needed to pay it off by 10 o'clock that night. Myrev Alvit was at 8 p.m. And he figured he didn't have the 10 grand. So he walked over to an American boy, a bachar, and he said, you know, uh, he goes over to him and he says, uh, do you have uh, $10,000 that the yeshiva could borrow? There's a loan that we need to pay back. And the boy looked at him and be like, what? And be like, no, I, you know, I don't have you know, 10 grand, like, why would I, you know, I, no, I don't. And the rabbi comforted him, he says, no, don't worry, he says, I'm just doing my shadlut. He says, I have a, a debt that I need to pay tonight, but I want to do my shadlut, so I figured I'll ask you. Why me? Why? Nope, I asked you. The rabbi walks off, goes back to learning. At 9.30 p.m., a man visiting from America, air quotes, randomly goes to the Rosh Hashiva, goes to to, to Rabbi Shapiro, and he goes and he gives him, he says, here's $10,000, help the yeshiva out. Just randomly out of the blue comes in, the, and by the way, if I were to tell you that this was the only story I heard, then he'd be like, when I'm learning, the, when I'm opening up you know, the books, the modern books, you see stories like this time and time and time and time again. I'd be like, it's cra- It's almost as if it's like a miracle worker. You need a certain money, you do a little ishtadlut, you have plenty of emunabitachon, Done. You get what you need. It's crazy the power of Ebu It's crazy. The power of Ebu it's unbelievable. It's unfathomable. It's so powerful. You look at this, you have over here, they're not worried about anything. Can you imagine somebody has doesn't have money and he has a $10,000 debt that they have to pay by 10 o'clock? Can you open up a Gemara? Can you open up a book? You're going to be drinking water, something that looks like water maybe, but it's really not water, it's rubbing alcohol or whatever it is. You're going to be like in a different state. But you know what you have in Abdul Where no matter what happens, you're calm as a cucumber. If a cucumber is calm, I don't know. I don't know if that's the saying. I think it's the saying. Whatever it is, you're relaxed. You're doing what you need to do. And I'm like, $10,000 opens up Gemara? That's unbelievable. That's what the Chavot HaVad is telling us. Someone who is a Baal Bitechon, forget about not worrying about the, the, you know, the secret of going out. He's not worrying about the details too much. It doesn't matter. It's so relaxed. That's number four. Benefit number four. Benefit number five, the fifth advantage, is that this alchemist is always nervous, is always fearful that somebody will uncover, figure out what he's doing. If somebody figures out, hey, by the way, you convert, you know, metal into gold, this could go wrong a thousand different ways. Either they'll kidnap him, try to take it out from him, kidnap the show. Like there is a thousand ways that, so he's always fearful of like he doesn't want anybody to find out. He says, what if they'll find out? So meaning, the way the Chavat is working over here, and it's a shame, it's getting so late, there's so much more that we need to speak about this. That, that when you when you go and you break this break this down, that let's say, meaning that the way the Chavot, the way that I understand the way the Chavot Havot is going and explaining this. So let's say that he's going and he's and he's, he's taking away, okay, 
Lineta, I will take my time, but I have to say that. So uh, let's say you have the Chavot Avot that goes and says there are certain things that are better than if you're Baal B'tachon. But let's say you always have, you know, you always have that smart aleck where it'll be like, well, this does not apply to me because I am stress-free. You know, like, that's, that, you know the type of people I'm talking about, right? So let's say a person does make enough money and he's not only is making enough money, but he's also healthy emotionally and physically. And he's not worried day-to-day business. But what happens if he is, you know, now, let me let me just like explain this you know a little bit clearer. Let's say a person goes and says success won't get to me. You know you have those people, everybody, literally. They're like, uh, you know, if I win the lottery, then I will know how to invest it. I once overheard a very very wealthy person, um, you know, saying over that if he will win the lottery. Now he knows how to invest it. Somebody else will go win the lottery. They're going to lose it very quickly. They invest it in profit. But I know how to invest it over here. I know how to be successful. I know better than other people. And by the way, maybe you do. And good for you. You should learn from everybody else. I wish that every single one of us, we should all win the lottery. Right? We should all win the lottery. We should all have a tremendous amount of money. And you should always know what to do with, with, you know, with the money more than everybody else. And by the way, that's something you should do. Look at the, look at the, uh, you know, the, the research behind it. People that win the lottery are not always so successful. So you should learn from somebody else. And let's say you do learn from somebody else. So what the Chavot Avot is, is, is telling us that no matter that where you're going in this step, this 10, this 10 levels, if we could call it, process, there is always another battle to come. There's always another thing to come. So maybe you're going to say you're, you know, you can make Panasai everywhere. So fine, you overcome battle number one. But then what about physically healthy, emotionally healthy? But let's say you could do physically healthy and you're still emotionally healthy. So then we go up to the fifth advantage that maybe you're, you're, you know, you're in fear that somebody's going to overcome. Somebody's going to find out what they do. And that doesn't mean that it's only when somebody's doing something illegal and he's nervous that maybe someone's going to find out what I'm doing. No. Let's say what happens is that more money that you make, the more, uh, the more that you raise in society, the more honor that people give you, the more kavod that people give to you. The higher that you go up, the stronger and the more that you fall down. And the more that you're nervous, so if you're doing something wrong, doesn't matter if it's in business or anything else, the more that you mess up in one thing, oh, you're nervous. Be like, everybody gives me so much respect. Everybody gives me so much honor. I get honored by every single dinner. Yes, I give a lot of money, but if they find out, not, okay, business is okay. But what I do in my personal, how I scream at my children, how, blah, 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 how I do this, how I do that, how I take my vacations, how I, do, how I spend my money, how I invest. Everybody has something to be fearful for. And there's such an embarrassing factor in it. So they're always afraid of what's going to be if someone find out what they do. doesn't matter where you are. If you're an alchemist or not, you have this fear. But somebody who lives with emunah and bitachon, that's somebody who lives with doing what's right. And someone that lives with doing what's right, they're not fearful of anything. Even if they get to that level, they're, they're, they're relaxed, they're calm. They have the tranquility that they need it. And this is what the, the, the Chavot Avot is going and telling us. That when you have an alchemist, the alchemist is always fearful that somebody's going to find out what he does and it's going to bring his downfall. But a Baal B'tachon is not fearful if anybody finds out what he does. Because he's a Baal B'tachon, he's a Baal Munah, he's not scared of anything. He's only scared of God. That's number five. Number six is that you can have an alchemist or anybody wealthy and they could amass tremendous amount of wealth. But what happens if they get sick and they can't enjoy the fortune? And they can't enjoy the money. And in fact, the Chavetz Chaim, 
there was, I believe it was a Chafetz Chaim, I'm doing this, if my memory serves it correctly, I believe it was a Shi'ul that the Chafetz Chaim was giving. And the Chafetz Chaim was going and saying that God could go and take away all your money in one instant. One wealthy businessman was there. And he came over to the Chafetz Chaim after the Shi'ul and he says, with all due respect, Kvod Harav. And he says, you know, I understand that God is in control of everything. And I understand that God could really take everything. He says, but, I have a question. It says, I have over 50 businesses. I have real estate. I have banking. I have hotels. I have super. I have so many. I diversified my assets to a certain way that if one falls, the other one goes. I diversified everything. He says, in one instant, how could God make everything go away in one instant? The Chafetz Chaim smiles and looks. And he says, yeah. He says, you know what? Maybe God won't do all that in one instant. But one thing I could tell you is that God can remove everything in an instant. And how? Very simply. He might not remove your money, but He can remove you from your money. The Chafetz Chaim goes and says, yes, maybe God won't take away all your money in one second, but God could take you away from the money in one second. So no matter where you are, no matter where you're going to be and how much wealth you amassed, it doesn't mean that you'll be able to enjoy it. God could take it all away like that. And if... You want to say, no, God is not going to do so much. God could take you away like that. And even if you say, no, God is not going to, then God, let's say God can make that person sick. God could go and make that person sick. And if that makes that person sick, the person won't be able to enjoy, you know, enjoy the money. So it means this, is what the Chavot of what is going and saying in the sixth advantage, is that just because you have money, doesn't mean that you'll be able to enjoy it. And in fact, you know, I've seen wealthy people. And I don't mean, I'm talking about people that have enough money for generations to come. Generations to come. And you think, okay, fine, I have money, they're going to enjoy it. And, and I still can't figure it out to this day. Where it's like almost, they have like this little juke, there's something in their mind where they can't enjoy the money. They're billionaires literally like tremendous amount of wealth and they're still shopping with coupons they're going and and by the way that's not how they became a billionaire no you don't become a billionaire because you went to shop at the 99 cent store versus amazing savings that's not how you become you know a billionaire you don't become a billionaire because you shop in the slightly irregular section that's not how you become you know a billionaire but what's interesting is, is that there's something that got put in their mind. They have enough money for generations, but they're still trying to save 50 cents on a certain item. And it's not the principle. It's not. It's something in their mind. It's something that I, like I noticed it. It's something that's so fascinating to see where you have someone who has so much, but they're still so boggled with so little. And I see the flip side also. People have so little... And they couldn't, they're like, listen, I gotta go around to Yeshiva. It's a dollar more. Just, okay, fine, let's go. We don't, time is money. You know, time is Torah. You know, over here. You have one guy over here who could literally is cashing and is making in a hundred thousand dollars a day. A hundred thousand dollars a day. And he's trying to figure out a way to save twenty dollars. Here you have somebody who's losing a hundred thousand dollars, whatever it is. Here you have somebody who's going and is barely making a hundred dollars a day. And he's like, listen, okay, I'm not gonna be boggled down with this. What's the difference between these two? There's something in their mind. Again, it could be multiple different things, but one of the things is a munah mitachon. 
One of the things is like, listen, I got to do what I got to do. I got to run to go to Minyan. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to go. Other person is like, no, I got to save every penny that I have. Otherwise, how will my great, 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 grandchildren be able to buy their Porsche and their yachts? Like, how will they be able to do it? Like, what's going to be? Meanwhile, these are usually the people who have one and a half kids and 14 dogs and, you know, whatever. Donate to colleges. Anyways, so that was the sixth advantage. You have probably have no, I just went on like a rampage in my mind. And you just got like a part of that, just like, you know, it's like spot out there. But anyways, you know, bless all Jews, what can I tell you? The seventh advantage, the seventh advantage is that let's say you have this alchemist. He could be rich. And not only be rich, he won't have any physical, uh, you know, problems. He won't have any emotional problems. He won't have any issues at all. He won't be sick. He'll be able to enjoy his money. But what happens if he could enjoy his money? And he can buy all the things that he need. But what happens if there's a shortage? What happens if there's a food shortage? So all his money is not going to be able to help him. So a million, and this was a story that was, uh, I forgot who it was. It was a story of a millionaire, somebody who was very, very wealthy, that he ended up getting locked in his own vault. And he ended up starving to death. He couldn't eat his money. He couldn't do anything, so all he, he had, this is something that's crazy, that he went and he had so much money, but at the same point in time, he couldn't eat. He starved to death with all the money. So what is a Baal B'dachon? Baal B'dachon is not worried about that. So meaning that even if you go, and if you have a lot of money, and even if there is you know, no sickness in your mind that you're not, you, know, you could spend as much as you want, but you might not be able to buy it. There might be a food shortage. There might be a, some sort of shortage. That's the seventh advantage. The eighth advantage, picking up a little bit of speed, the eighth advantage is that the alchemist feels that he can't remain in one place for too long. He has to go always on the run. doesn't want to get caught. But someone who's a Baal Botel, he's able to stay in one place, you know, comfortably, relaxing, not worried about anything. You're, meaning that even if you are successful, and even if you don't have any sickness, and even if there is no shortage, you're always looking over your shoulder. And even if you have a kosher business, that you have nothing to look over your shoulder, you know what happens to wealthy people, very, very wealthy people? They become very skeptical and anybody who wants to be their friend. Somebody, what do you want? Like, you want something from me? Like, what are you going to come to me? So every, they think that everybody's after their money. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. They think everybody's after them for their money. So meaning that they're always running away from, maybe they're not running away from country to country, from place to place, but they're running away from themselves. They're running away from their friends. They're running away from people that care about them. Why? Because they think everybody's out to get them. So the eighth advantage is you have somebody who has a munan bitachon, whether they're wealthy or not, he's realizing that no one's out to get you. It's all from God. It's all from a hakadosh ba'ahu. And they're not worried about anything. But somebody who doesn't have a munan bitachon, an alchemist, very wealthy, very is always life on the run. And if you're not doing anything illegal, you're still on the run. You're running from your friends. You're running from people that think that they're out to get you. That's the eighth advantage. The ninth advantage is that when the alchemist, this wealthy person, dies, he cannot bring not an ounce of gold with him to the next world. He could have produced tons. I don't mean tons as in a lot. I mean tons as in the way tons of gold into this world. He could have converted tons of lead into gold. But he cannot even bring one ounce into the next world. But somebody who has emunah, and somebody has bitachon, he takes the emunah and bitachon that he had, and he brings it to the next world. Meaning, that every time that you have emunah and bitachon, 
it doesn't always relax you, calm you down, and give you the benefit in this world. You also take that benefit into the next world. As the Pasuk says in Bereshit, chapter 15, verse 6, that is speaking about Avraham. It says, Ve'hemin ba'ashem, and, Hash- and Avraham believed in Hashem, and he accounted it to him as righteousness. What does Rashi say? That HaKadosh Baruch Hu went, and he chashav la'avaham l'schut v'l'tzdaka. HaKadosh Baruch Hu went and he blessed the emunah b'tachon that Avraham had. He merited to him as a what? As, as, as a righteousness for the faith. Like meaning that Avraham had emunah b'tachon, and that came to his merit as well. Meaning that every time that we have a munah bitachon, it doesn't only help us in this world to accomplish things that we would never thought we could accomplish. It helps us in the next world as well. Meaning over here that the ninth level, the ninth advantage is that when someone dies, you can't bring your wealth into the next world. Yes, if you gave charity, that you can take it to the next world. If you did good things with your money, that you take it to the next world. But money itself, you can't take it to the next world. But somebody who has bitachon, somebody who has emunah, they bring that to the next world. And let's go to the final one, to the tenth advantage. The tenth advantage is that the alchemist is, if this alchemist is ever caught, instant execution. Why? Because he's doing things that are contradictory to the government regulations. How do you go and you change something like that? This is wrong. This is against nature, and they're not going to be happy with that. They're going to, you know. Execute him. He's caught execution. Meaning that any way that you look at it and you think that it won't be a problem for me, there is another issue that comes along. And let me explain that. Let me exp- let me explain. Let me let me do a quick recap on what we just said, those ten steps. Then let me explain it. And then let me ask a question so I can explain it a little bit a little bit better. Okay. So let's look at those ten the, the ten advantages. So Advantage number one, we're saying the advantages versus somebody who has a monam bitachon versus somebody who's an alchemist, somebody who was able to go and convert lead or metal into gold. So advantage number one, a person who's a bitachon is able to get panasa anywhere. Doesn't need any equipment, doesn't need anywhere, anyhow, any place. Number two, someone who's a bitachon is healthy physically. Number three, healthy emotionally. Doesn't have the stress that he has to keep it a secret. Number four, not only he doesn't have to feel like he has to keep his business a secret, but even the day-to-day activities, that's not going to worry him. That's not going to, he's going to produce too much gold, too little gold, not worried about it. But let's say, and by the way, the way that it works over here, the way that I understand it, is that one builds off another. So, meaning that, he let's say, with the first one that we said, it was Panasa could be everywhere. But let's say this alchemist produces enough factories that he can have panasai everywhere. And then you can say, okay, what about healthy? Maybe physically healthy. But let's say he's able to you know, hire workers that he doesn't bother him you know, physically. Okay, but then what about emotionally? Maybe he'll have the emotional stress. But let's say he has enough pills that he's able to have no emotional stress. Even though it's not really the way out. But let's say he doesn't have any emotional stress. Okay, and then he doesn't have any, even any emotional stress day-to-day activities. Then he has number five. What's number five? That even if you don't have any day, what about that, that the more the prestigious that you get, the more they find out that you're doing something bad, that you're doing something not the righteous way, the higher that you go, the stronger that you're going to fall. The more that you're going to fall down. If he has a constant fear, this, this uh, alchemist, that maybe somebody's going to go find out what he's doing and this is going to destroy him. Emotionally, physically, financially, and in the status of where he is standing. And then maybe you're going to go to the sixth level. Then you say, okay, you know what? Nothing I'm doing is wrong. No one will ever find out. 
but you still never promise that you're going to enjoy your money. Just because you have money doesn't mean that you're going to be able to enjoy it. How many wealthy people don't enjoy the money? But let's say, you know what? No, I do enjoy the money and I don't have that sickness that wealthy people have. And that goes us to number seven. Okay, but even if you have a lot of money and you're willing to pay for it, maybe there's going to be a shortage. Maybe there's going to be a shortage and you're not going to be able to pay for it. And even if you say, you know what? There's not going to be a shortage. But you're always running away. And if you're not running away, you're running away. If you're not running away from the cops, you're not running away from the feds, you're not running away from the CIA, but maybe you're running away from your friends. Maybe you're running away from yourself because you're nervous that everybody's out to get you. That one, by the way, is one of the hardest ones, I think, for the wealthy people, at least the people that I've dealt with, that they have to deal with. They feel like, mamish, everybody's out for them. Not to uh, hurt them, God forbid, but to get something from them. That's number eight. Number nine is that even if you get until this level where you're able to answer every single question because you're one of those people that nah, 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 and it doesn't affect me because blah, 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 and I can do this and I can do that and I am on such a better level than everybody else and you have all the answers that all the rabbi says, well, maybe you're going to be nervous about this, but you have all the answers. But what about number nine? Makat choshech, if we could say, that what happens that when someone dies and they can't bring the wealth into the next world, you can't bring anything to the next world, but somebody who has a munam bitachon, that you could bring to the next world. That's what's going to light up your, your life. And that brings us to the final, final number, which is the 10th advantage, that if somebody, this alchemist, gets caught, then they have nothing else to get executed. And there's nothing else because the governments are going to chase after them. Says, how are you doing this? This is wrong. So let me ask you a question. And this is a question that I thought about it today. And I was thinking, as I was preparing for the class... I was like, the Chavot HaVot explains 10 benefits. And the way that we learned it today, is the way that I understood it, is my own, you know, pshat, the way that is one builds off another. But I have a very big question that bothered me. I said, why is it that the ninth level, the ninth advantage is dying and you're not going to be, be, be able to bring anything into the next world? And the tenth advantage is that if you get caught, you get executed. Really, it should be switched around. First, you die, and then you can't bring anything to the next world. So why did the Chavot HaAvot first put the ninth one, where someone can't bring any, any of the money into the next world, and only a Munam B'Tachon in the next world, but then he put number 10, that if you get caught, you get executed. You understand the question? The question is, is that everything should go in a certain order. From least to more severe. Where is the final step? The final step is in the next world. If the final step is in the next world, number nine should have been number ten. The number you, it should have ended off. It should have been that even if you're able to enjoy the money, that maybe there's going to be a food shortage. But even if there's a food shortage, maybe there's no food shortage, and you're going to be able to enjoy the money. But maybe you're going to be scared of your friends. And then maybe even if you're not scared of all that, you'll get caught and you'll die. And finally, and finally, if you die, then you're not going to be able to join in the next world. I am not going to join in the next world. I hope you understand the question. Question bothered me. So, I want to give an answer. And I was trying to look for sources, but this is my own personal answer. This is what, this is what I think the answer is. That, you know, in our thoughts, in our minds, we have many excuses. Oh, how many thoughts do we have? How many explanations that we have? And it, we're so creative. Oh, I've spoken to people that have come to me with such amazing explanations of why they're doing the most terrible thing is really the biggest mitzvah they deserve to be the next Mashiach. You know, like really the unbelievable doll of the generations. And we had the best excuses. And we, it's sort of like me and God, we have an understanding. You know, we know exactly what we're doing. And by the way, sometimes yes, and sometimes no. Uh, to each their own. 
And when I was thinking about this, I was like, you know, when it comes to skulot, when you deal with things about, in this world, money, health, marriage, children, everybody jumps onto that. This is what talks to people. If I want to give, B'zav Hashem, I want to give a class on, on this money, this money uh, um, series on skulot for money. Uh, I could just tell you how, how many people are going to be interested in that class. Skulot for money, forget about it. But what if I give a class, skulot for Olam Abba? Skulot for Gan Eden. How many people are going to come to that? that maybe, I don't know. Let's go out to, it's, you know, you're going to have a few of the good ones, but like compared to Skulot for money, whew, forget about it. You know, fortunately and unfortunately, what talks to us in this world is, is things in this world. You find me a Skulot for Shiduch, I'm listening. You find me a Skulot for health, I'm sick, I'm listening. You find me a Skulot for children, I need children, I'm listening. You find me a Skulot for money, I need money, I'm listening. This is what talks to people. So maybe we could say this is how the Chavot what specifically orchestrated, specifically wrote it this way. He specifically put it at like the ninth level. He says, you know what? That's what comes in the next world. What comes, you can't take it to the next world. Uh, but he didn't finish off in this way. He finished off in the way specifically on this world, on execution on this world. You want to know why? And this is my thought process and stay with me. He says, because we all have different excuses. We all have different reasons of why when we go to the next world, We'll be able to explain. who knows us. Come on. He knows that really we meant good and really we shouldn't get punished. And I, like I said, maybe yeah, maybe no. I don't know. Between you and God. But we have our excuses. We have our hezbainas. We have our ideas on how everything is going to work out because me and God, we're tight. We have an understanding. We know exactly what we're dealing with. So when you're dealing with, if you, if I tell you a school off the next world, be like, okay, fine, you know what? I have understanding, me and God, we're going to take care of it. I'm not worried about that. Says the Chavot no, 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 no. Number 10, the thing that you can run away is execution. You can't run away from the end. You can't run away from the physical world. It says you think that you're going to have all the reasons from the, from, from, you know, on like how you're going to tell to God and how you're going to say this and no matter what is it that you do, it says fine. He says, but Chavadot specifically ends on the physicality. You want to know why? Because this is what talks to people. He says, at the end of the day, you want to be successful? You have the, you, you know, you have the, this alchemist. You have this person that's producing something in unparalleled net profits. And then you have somebody who's a Baboteach. And you're going to give every reason of why being an alchemist could be better. But then at the end of the day, at the end of the day, in the physical world, says the Chavot HaLavot, the person who's a Baal Botech is going to come on top 10 out of 10 times. And the alchemist, maybe he'll come up at level 7, maybe he'll come up at level 6, maybe he'll come up at level 5. But 10 out of 10, the Baal Bitochon will come out. He will come out no matter what. The... Oh, it's late. Okay. Let's, let's finish off with one idea. Let's finish off with one thought. The Rav Asher Zalik Rubinstein, which, you know, wrote a Sefer HaRemunah B'Dachon, which we, we use, uh, you know, a lot of the, his teachings in it. He speaks about, he began teaching in 1970. And he was, um, while he was teaching, there was, a, there was a boy in the yeshiva by the name of Moshe, who was, unfortunately, he was an orphan. His parents were killed in a car accident. And his grandfather was one of the richest men in South Africa. And only later, the, the rabbi found out that his parents left him and his sister a, a huge fortune. 
And it turns out that, you know, he needed a little extra help in, in learning. So he needed a tutor. In those days, it cost $100 a month for a tutor. This was in 1970. So he goes over to the boy and he says, listen, you know, you, you need a tutor. It costs $100 per month to have a little bit of extra learning. You do. And the boy says, listen, I have to speak to my sister. My sister is the one who is my financial advisor. She's the one who runs the, you know, everything in finance. And I have to ask her. So he goes, he speaks to his sister, he comes back to the rabbi, he says, I'm sorry, my sister declined. She did not allow me to get tutoring. She said, I need my entire fortune and my inheritance for my future business, my car, and my house. So the rabbi goes over to him and he says, listen, he says, you need tutor for a few months. He says, when you get married, if you, and he made him a deal, he took out a piece of paper. He says, if you get, when you get married, if you're missing the $500 that you need for five months of tutoring, I will pay you back that $500. And he says, bring this paper to your sister. Sister saw the paper, accepted the deal. Done. This is a, you know, win, win-win situation. He, they go, they pay for the, you know, for the tutoring, time goes by, and, uh, and he starts for, for dating. He ends up getting engaged and getting married to the wealthiest man in Bnebrak, who later went and bought him a business, bought him a car, and bought him a house. And he told him, keep your money, parents' money as backup. Meaning that you have people that live a certain lifestyle where, you know, they, they feel like what they need to do is that's what's going to give them success. And they say, you know, I'm going to become a doctor. I'm going to become a lawyer. And that's how I'm going to be rich. And what really turns out of them? Some, many times, great things. They become wealthy. But what happens if they suffer one malpractice? Or even now, let's say they become a surgeon. And they, ha- they lose a patient in surgery. And not to their fault. Nobody else will come to them. There's so many different aspects that a person can lose. There is no profession at all that guarantees panasa. There's no profession. You could be a, the best doctor and you could lose it all. You could be the best lawyer, you could lose it all. You could have nothing to lose it all, you could have nothing to gain. Like literally, I, I see this all the time and it's scary. It's so scary to see this. You're never guaranteed. You're never guaranteed. And you know... We're never guaranteed not on our health, not on our house, not on our cars, not on our money, not on anything in life. Nothing is guaranteed. Nothing that we could say is guaranteed. Everything is only if HaKadosh Baruch Hu in His infinite mercy decides to give it to us. There is no profession at all that you could decide that you're going to go into that you will be guaranteed upon us. I remember I once gave a ride to somebody who was a dermatologist. Didn't have money for a car. I, I couldn't understand that dermatologists make you know a lot of money. Worked in a success. Couldn't even afford a car. How, why, when, where? I couldn't get into the details of it. I don't know. I don't know. You have people that are the have the most successful degrees. They can't make a living. Then you have people who have the worst degrees and make so much money. But one thing is for sure: there's no profession at all that guarantees a panasa. There's nothing. Not the alchemist, not medicine, not law. There's only the botech, somebody who has a munan bitachon and akadash baruchu. They're the only people that can live a life of peace and tranquility. Now, of course, we have to say that one is not allowed to neglect the hishtadlut that they need to do. We have to do hishtadlut. We have to do hishtadlut. Hishtadlut has to come with our bitachon. But... If, if you would hear, you know, the stories and how the crazy situations and how people lose everything, whether it's health, money, relationships, it, it becomes so obvious, scary obvious to me. 
it's like scary obvious to me that we need Hashem in our lives. There's no way to go about it. Like you'd never, ever, ever want to be tested in this way that you'll be able to say, okay, I only have God. But it's so scary when we realize we have nothing else other than HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's nothing else. Nothing. Nothing is guaranteed in our life. All we have is our emunah and bitachon HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to continue giving us a blessing that He's giving us until now and hopefully more. When you go to somebody who has everything and somebody who has nothing, but the one who has everything doesn't have any emunah and bitachon and the one who has nothing has tremendous amount of emunah and bitachon, you want to know who's successful in this world? The one who has nothing and has umnah b'dachon. Because that person is happy. He has tranquility. He has peace. He has, you know, he, he's, he's calm. He's, you know, within the world. You have someone who has everything, but they can't sleep at night. They have anxiety. They have depression. They can't get out. So you, I, tell, I ask you, who do you think is successful? This is what the Chavot Halvavot is telling us. That no matter where you have and how much you have, you're nothing if you don't have emunah and b'dachon. With that, we'll... Open up to questions. Okay. Okay. Uh, here's a question. Sorry if this is irrelevant to some because you are not in school, but I want to know now that we're out of school and we have more free time. Does do I have any ideas on how to stay connected with Hashem and not to lose inspiration, even when you are not being taught it daily? So that's an excellent, excellent question. So uh, the question is, well, let's say somebody went through seminary. Let's say somebody went through high school. Let's say somebody went through a daily learning schedule. And what happens when you don't, when you, when you get out of the system? When you're no longer involved in the, you know, the, the day-to-day learning that you used to have? How do you go and how do you stay connected? And you see this, I'll tell you how important this question is because you see that you have people that come, they go to seminary, they go to Israel, and they become the Rebetzins of the Rebetzins. They become the Rebetzins teachers. They become on such a high level. And they come back and like, they're literally on a spiritual high. And unfortunately, within a few months, they're slowly, slowly, they're going lower and lower. And... The question is, you know, what can you do to stop that? First of all, you can't compare it to life in yeshiva, life in seminary, life that you're learning to all of a sudden, life in the, in, you know, in the world of Tumah, and that you have to be out there. But one thing I could tell you is that in order to be connected, you have to always be learning, always be, always be growing. And if you're not, then you're not, if you're not growing, you're falling. There's no, there's no like, okay, I'm kind of the same though. If you're not growing, you're going down. And that is why, like uh, that's Shira, you took it right out of my mouth. That was my next thing. TorahAnytime.com. That is a great, great resource. Every single day, listen to a class. And if you want to say, I don't have an hour to listen to a class, well, you know what? There's something called a daily dose. You can listen for two minutes a day. If you don't know what the daily dose is, just like ask anybody who's alive ever, because like everybody literally is on it. You know, like if you don't know what the daily dose is, then that's a big, big problem because you're under a, the Jewish rock because everybody should know at this point in time the daily dose. You should be involved. In, if you don't know, the, email me. I'll set you up with the daily dose. You have to be on this daily dose where you get a, in, you know, either in your email or in your WhatsApp or whatever it is, wherever, you know, uh, platform that you're getting on, a two to three minute burst of inspiration, amazing little clip on, you know, Torah, on inspiration, on growth. So this is something that you're, you, 
Everybody could do two, three minutes. There's no, I don't care if you're the most busiest lawyer, doctor, and judge, all combined in one, and a rabbi, whatever it is, you're all combined in one, you still have two, three minutes. You could do two, three minutes. There shouldn't be a day that goes by that you can't learn at least two, three minutes. So, um, and thank you very much. There's a post over here for the Daily Dose uh, for the link. Thank you very, very much. Okay, but anyways, that is my recommendation. You know, learn every single day. Learn, learn, learn every single day. Be connected. Okay. Um, okay, looks like I may have given an um, incorrect name for the Fuashtama. The Fuashtama was for Frecha Bertha Batmilian. Okay, I hope I said it right this time. Okay, it looks like that was the final um, question comment. With that, we'll there end off. The, uh, there was a guru that said uh, this week that no matter how much uh, wealth you obtain in life, there are no storage containers once you die. Yep. That's very true. Yeah, take the, it with you. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the Jewish say, sages have been saying that for centuries, uh, millennium actually, where literally the, it's... You don't take anything with you at the next world, only the spirituality, the scary part of it. But anyways, with that, let's end off on a positive note. And the positive note is that we see over here that no matter how much you have in this world, you cannot beat somebody who has a munah bidachon. But we don't want to split it and say that uh, but there is only, you can only take one and not the other. So that's why we'll end off with a blessing, that we should be blessed adibli dai with panasa b'shefa, not like the alchemist, but even more than the alchemist. And not only that we should have the panasah, but we should also have the ability to be able to be a botech ba'ashem, to have the benefit of both in this world and in the next world. Uh, there is another thing that came up here. Is there a way to stream the rabbis on Torah anytime? Uh, are you talking about live? Um, so Rachel, I see that you asked over here, is there a way to stream the rabbis? There is... Um, are you talking about audio only? I'm, I'm not sure of that. So let me give you the, the rundown. Um, oh, here's a question. One after another. That is a great, great question. I believe they're working on something like that. They may have something. Um, Torah Anytime had something where, like some sort of like radio, I think, where you just like press play and it just goes one after another, like a random, like just takes a share one after another. Um, I, I believe they're working on that. I may be wrong, uh, but... You can't do that on YouTube. Like you can go on your lectures or Mizrahi or whatever rabbi you like, they're all on YouTube, and you just build your playlist and you just let it let it roll. Right, but I think what she's asking is that you can make like people that you don't know just like go random, like just they come, nothing's random, whatever. Like they just come up and, uh, which is a good idea, and I believe they are working on like a sort of a streaming. That, that is what you said, so it's a good uh, like sort of a streaming service, like a radio Torah time radio. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they are uh, they are working on that. And if not, definitely reach out to uh, Torah Anytime. I believe it's info at TorahAnytime.com, which is a, it's a great, any suggestions, they, they what's amazing about Torah Anytime, they're always looking to grow and expand and, and to improve. And they all suggestions are so much appreciated. So definitely, definitely send your suggestions. Okay, we have here another, um, we have another uh, question that came up over here. How can I help family members who's not, who used to be modest and stopped, they are teenagers. 
So if you would have told me, if that question would have stopped before they are teenagers, it would have been a different answer. Uh, teenagers is a completely, completely different, um, different topic. So the truth of the matter is, is that it depends case by case because is there, there, what is the reason that they stop? So it, teenagers is very, very likely it's, it's friend related. It's who they hang out with. Um, it's, you know, who they, they deal with at a day to day. That's very likely could be what it, you know, what the situation is. But one thing that I would say regarding teenagers is teenagers feel and they think they know everything. So if you tell them that they don't know anything or anything, so then they will come back and it will fight you. So if you're, what you should try to do is you should try to get them to make them think what you want to think. So meaning that if you want them to be modest, build it up the information in a certain way that they come to that conclusion by themselves. And when they come to the conclusion by themselves, then they will do it. Why? Because if they think that they're right or they're okay, whatever they're doing, so even if you tell them that they have to dress more modestly, so they'll dress more modestly, but the second they go out with their friends, you know, the skirt goes a little bit up, the sleeves go up a little bit, they become a little bit more immodest or whatever it is, but while they're near you, they'll, they'll be respectful. But if you convince them that that is the right thing and it comes from their own mindset, then they will do it regardless of where they are. Of course, you have to be careful who they hang out with. But one thing I would say is, is talk to them in a certain way that get them to tell you that the right thing is to be modest. And how? That we could do it offline. If you want, you could please feel free to reach out to me and we could uh, discuss and how it would be the best way depending on the situation and how to deal with it, how to speak to them and how to teach them and how to instruct them and what would be the best way to go about doing it. Okay. All right. Any other questions? No? Okay. Amen. Thank you for the blessings. Have an amazing, amazing Shabbat week, life. I guess I can't get better than that. No? Children's life. Just everything amazing for everybody. Okay. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.